Hello, you've made a fine choice, certainly one I appreciate. Thank you for checking out today's On Mike with Jordan Rich podcast. Uh, first off, we love hearing from folks, so how do we do that? Well, email me, jordan at chartproductions, C-H-A-R-T productions.com. Twitter is at Jordan WBZ, and our Facebook page is simply Jordan Rich Show. Now, it's been said that next to hunger and thirst, our most basic human need is for storytelling. You know who said that? Khalil Gibran. I agree wholeheartedly, and I love to present stories of creative, passionate people who are making a difference. And because there's uh, so much on the plate these days, I'm offering you a two-for-one special today. In part two of the podcast, you'll meet Rob Hoshield, a Berkeley College professor and the host and producer of the Media Narrative Podcast. Rob interviews media makers of all kinds, gaining insight into what makes people like me tick. But first, a story about leadership and training people to expand their horizons to become the leaders they were meant to be. My guest is Michael Strassner. Michael's mission is to develop business and community leaders who create the maximum possibilities and opportunities for themselves and those around them. For the past 30 years, Michael has facilitated thousands of personal and corporate trainings and workshops on topics ranging from leadership, entrepreneurship, relationships, communications, public speaking, sales, and much more. His clients range from CEOs to Fortune 500 executives to budding entrepreneurs, athletes, actors, artists, and even college students. Now, we'll be talking about a new venture starting in my city this month called Boston Breakthrough Academy, and we'll chat a bit about Mike's self-discovery that he was destined to help people, lots of people. He's going to tell us how he got to be one of the country's top leadership coaches. So let's go on, Mike. I was always affected by what was happening in the world. I mean, growing up in the 1970s, we had the Vietnam War, the busing crisis in Boston, the Iran hostage situation, so many different things, the Cold War with Russia. I remember when in order to qualify to get a bank loan to go to college, I had to sign up for the selective service, which of course is not the same as as the draft, but being, let's say, raised in all of these different powerful, scary, potentially life-threatening situations, I was very interested in what was going on in the world, but also affected by it. I, I can't explain why I was affected, like at a deep emotional level, but I remember seeing the Vietnam War news uh, daily where they would post the number of Americans that had been killed. And I remember that feeling that I had, you know, like a sadness about that. So I think I've always been pulled towards caring about people, you know, like my friends, the people that I'm, I'm very close with. I have a very strong relationship with them. My family, we've, we, we have a very strong relationship, a strong bond. I, I think I've always been drawn towards wanting the best for people, wanting um, to make a difference some way in people's lives. So back when I was living in Los Angeles, you know, when I was about 21 years old and, you know, searching to get clear on what I wanted to do with my life and what I'm going to do in college because I was in school, but not clear about my vision or clear about the future. My friend had an opportunity, a leadership training program, and she invited me to come to a graduation night and saw the impact with my friend and listened to her talk about her experience and what she learned. And I thought to myself, that sounds like something that would be really valuable for me. So I went to the 
program and that's when it really all began. I, I you know, was 21 years old and really searching for what I wanted to do with my life and how I could make a difference. And, mm-hmm. and so I went to, I went to the, this amazing leadership training and then I applied to get a job there. Didn't think they would hire me. Didn't think, you know, they would hire somebody so young, but I showed up in a really powerful way and and they gave me an entry level job. So I took an entry level job, uh, worked basically in sales for about, let's say five years that I worked my way up into management. So I was 25, had an opportunity to become a leader of and a general manager of an office, which was down in South Florida. And so I took that opportunity. And at the time I was the youngest person in that job. I mean, there were probably 12 different offices around the United States. And the average age was 35 to 40 of the people that were there were running the office. And I was 25, 27 at the time. And just hungry. You know, when you're hungry and you're committed to something, you are willing to do whatever it takes to learn. And I was a sponge. Mm. So I just really absorbed it. And, and then learned how to coach and understood what coaching was and started to really excel at coaching. And then I branched off in 1994 and started my own company. So I've had my mm-hmm. own company now for 25 years, multiple different companies actually. And they're all centered around leadership training, leadership coaching. And I do it for, for corporations and I also do it for the general right. public. Right. And then of course wrote my books and all that. Obviously you have a natural ability to not only listen and glean and understand what people need, but also to deliver inspiration with your voice, with your physical presence. And that's a gift, I think, that a lot of people don't have. But it's something that you've fostered and you've worked on, I take it. A hundred percent. One of the most powerful things that I learned and heard was it doesn't matter what people know until they get you care. And it might sound simple, but it's essential. So if you have all the language, the words, you sound like you know what you're talking about, but people are not connected to you or there's no intimacy or there's no compassion or, or empathy, then people tune you out. They don't hear. And so one, I've always cared about people. So let's just take that. That's a natural thing. It makes me happy when I when I see people happy, you know? I don't feel jealous. I'm empowered. You know, I see a couple kissing and it just brings warmth to my heart to see somebody in love. I have that natural caring, but what I've developed is the ability to connect with people and to be in relationship with people so that they hear me as a partner with them, being on their team versus, you know, this this self-righteous, self engrandized uh, person mm. who thinks they know all these things and, and probably does, but nonetheless, does it come from a connected, caring place? I could be in the same city, have uh, different audiences that, that have different personalities. And my ability to relate to different personalities is something I've cultivated and developed over the last 30 years, for sure. That's a knowing your audience precept that's so important to anyone in your field. But true that a lot of people shy away from getting involved with, quote unquote, leadership training or leadership coaching because they feel they're going to be put upon or they're going to have to reach the the highest point of leadership or they're a failure. I've actually talked to people who have come out of some of these programs, not yours, obviously, and they feel worse because they haven't been able to meet the objectives. 
so one of the things I talk about in my book, my newest book, which is Mastering Leadership, is I talk about the culture, the culture that that we live in, you know, not just in the United States, but generally speaking, culture in the world. And what, one of the things that I've noticed in my work for 30 years is that people are complacent. There's a complacency that we have that even when we get to, let's say, a reasonable or moderate level of success, we want to get comfortable in that space and quote unquote, control it. Everybody wants to control things that work because if it's working, you don't want to lose it. One of the things that I've learned is to love risk. Now I'm not saying risk as in life or death risk, but putting myself out there to take things on that give me an opportunity to redesign myself. For example, writing my first book, I, I'm not a writer. So that doesn't mean I can't write a paragraph or, you know, even a post at different times on social media. You know, sometimes I'm I'm inspired and I'd write, you know, this this amazing paragraph and I'd go, Wow, I could be a writer. <laughs> but that's not the same thing as actually writing a book, committing myself to do it. So I didn't have to write the book. I, I could have continued to do what I was doing, being successful. But one of the things that I love to do with myself is challenge myself to break through at higher levels. And to do that, we have to take risk. I think that people sometimes focus on the fear of failure yeah. and the the fear of being uncomfortable and maybe how they might not look good or or whatever, but they're missing the value, which is to redesign yourself and be able to create something that is a higher level of accomplishment or a higher level of experience. And I can tell you right now, to be able to not just write my book, but then to have my book be a number one on Amazon and make it a bestseller was a huge accomplishment because I declared it out loud to my students. I put my butt on the line for my for 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 something that I wanted to do personally so that I could show the people that I work with that I practice what I preach. And I'm not saying to you it was easy. I'm not saying to you I wasn't uncomfortable. There were many times in I was thinking to myself, I'm the worst writer that ever lived. What made me think I could write a book? If people could see the value of risking, the value of redesigning themselves and how it gives them the juice in life you know we're human right. and to have that juice you know where you're 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 reinvigorated you're refreshed you're um passionate again about how you're living your life it, it just makes you a much more powerful inspirational leader no matter what you do professionally taking risks and uh, stepping out and not being concerned with failing because that's part of learning anyway that's a great concept and a great way to teach and we're talking with Michael Strasner who's one of the nation's leading coaches when it comes to uh, developing leadership finding your purpose in life and it's not just business right Mike you you deal with people obviously in the business world but also in terms of relationship in terms of how they feel about themselves I take it yes. Uh, a, a, a big part of the work I do is is really what I call an emotional intelligence. We have spent a lifetime of studying, uh, going to school, learning, let's call it math and English and science and history and writing and reading and all sorts of skills that I think are important in life. But what we miss in a lot of our development is the relationship and emotional intelligence skills that would make a, a huge impact 
in how we live our lives. So if you have, let's say, an amazing education, but you're ineffective in your ability to speak, that's going to hurt your interviewing when you're looking for a job. If you're lacking confidence or lacking self-worth, and that's going to impact your ability to be successful in the job you have. If you, let's say, are really good at doing something yourself, but you're not a team player, you know, you're super competitive and, you know, you've always got to uh, do it your own way and you don't play well with others and don't know how to function inside of an organization or with, with the team, that's going to impact every aspect of your personal and your professional life. Because sure. you can, you, another way of thinking about family is it is a team. You're working uh, together with yeah. a common vision. I love that. I love that. Before we talk about your newest project, which has a local connection, we're doing this podcast emanating from Boston. Living on the Skinny Branches is another book, Five Tools to Creating Power, Freedom, and a Life Worth Living. Love the title. How did you come up with it, Michael? You know, it's something that that I heard years and years and years ago. Somebody used it, and it just really clicked for me. I, I thought of this tree, and it just made me you know, where is life really happening? Is it happening at the bottom of the tree or the top of the tree? You know, when you're we're, when you're at the bottom of the tree, there's no risk. When you're at the bottom of the tree, there's <laughs> there's you know, there's no there's no fear. But the higher you go up, then the more, you know, anxiety you have, because obviously if you fall, you know, you could be hurt. And so that's a perfect metaphor for life. Life is happening when your blood is pumping, when the air is going through your lungs, when you're excited or you're exhilarated about life. And it's a lot like a roller coaster. And I talk about that in the book, too. You know, that the fear is not, you know, before the car takes off, the fear begins in the slow climb to the top. And then, you know, it goes from this oh my God, I'm going to die fear to, oh my God, that was incredible. And I want to do it again, you know, and, and that is really, uh, you know, what that's really all about for me. And, and, and to, to live your life with passion, to live your life with purpose, that's what makes life worth living. It doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter what your success is or what you know, kind of house or car you drive, none of those things bring you joy. None of those things bring you true happiness. Happiness and joy, I believe, come from finding a purpose in your life, a, a vision in your life that is mutually beneficial for every person you come in contact with. So like when I give to somebody, when I put a smile on somebody's face, when I when I coach somebody and then that person achieves something that they declared, how does that make me feel about myself? It empowers me. It's not just about the money. It's the emotional satisfaction that I get mm. to see my daughter get an A in her uh, algebra class, to see my son hit a home run in, his, in, you know, in the first at bat on the first pitch of the game. Those moments are incredible. And so to allow myself to experience it and connect with it and get out of the automatic pilot that we live in, we're so often 
you know, automatic pilot or disconnected from the experiences. Mm. I appreciate so. that. And also the metaphor use of metaphor in, a, in anything for me is very effective because I'm a yeah. I'm a guy who lives in imagery. I really do. But thank you for that. So let's talk about your newest project, which is Boston Breakthrough Academy. What is it all about? Well, Boston Breakthrough Academy, first of all, is a leadership training company. And what we specialize in is the work that I've been doing for 30 years and developing for 30 years, which is which is mastering leadership professionally and personally in your life. And so when I talk about leadership, and I think it's distinct from maybe how other people talk about leadership, it's it's definitely about you discovering uh, a vision and a purpose for your life professionally and personally, which is to create something in the future that hasn't happened yet and then bring it into being. So it could be that you're going to start your own company. It could be that you've already started your own company and you're committed to doubling it or tripling it or eventually having it be uh, you know, sold on the stock market. It could be professional. It could also be personal where you want to develop yourself as a speaker. You want to have the confidence in yourself to to go out and uh, start your own business. So so the idea of the leadership program is for people to not only have the skills, because, of course, we're going to give people the skills, but also to have the experience in developing themselves so they're in front of the room it's not me in front of the room it's really ultimately them in front of the room leading them in front of the room working on it experientially Mm -hmm. versus me just giving them information so go go back to imagery for a minute it'd be like riding a bike if i was going to teach you how to ride a bike i would definitely not do it with charts I wouldn't be, you know, (laughs) in the living room with you and say, okay, Jordan, so this is a bicycle and this is what a seat looks like. And, you know, these are the handlebars. I would take you outside and we would go outside with that bicycle and I would say, okay, here's the idea. Why don't you sit on it? Okay. So hold on to those wheel. I mean, hold on to the handlebars. You want to make sure that you balance yourself and you want to make sure you, you know, you, you turn with the, the wheels with your feet and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I would do it with you. I would, you know, hold maybe uh, the seat and support you while you're there. And once you got going and once you were able to, to experience it, boom, you'd be going down the street, you're doing wheelies, you know, you you get it in your body. And so what we do is leadership by experience where you're getting it in your body. So you don't just walk out with a binder of material, like, you know, a hundred page handout, which we of course give you handouts, but, but that's not where the leadership happens. The leadership happens in the experience. And it's the website, bostonbreakthroughacademy.com for people to want to find out more. It's just getting underway. And also Michael Strasner, S-T-R-A-S-N-E-R.com with details on the books, the, the programs, the touring, all the kind of things that are going on. So just in closing, you are one of those guys like me living a dream. You're really enjoying life, aren't you? My life is truly blessed. I, I literally can't believe how empowered I am in my life. I'm in love. My wife is the most beautiful, amazing, intelligent, giving, fun, generous. I mean, I I can't possibly even come up with enough adjectives to describe her. I'm living a lifetime of honeymoon with my wife, which I'm sure I'm worthy of it, but 
when something is this amazing, it's hard to believe. And then you take that and you take the work I do and you take my amazing kids. I, I, I'm incredibly empowered. I'm incredibly blessed. But I also want to say this because I think this is really important for everybody listening. I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I had many challenges growing up as a kid and as a child. You know, I have an older brother and and he was amazing and, and a, a wonderful person. And I never felt like I could ever be good enough and be able to create what I've created. It is 100% possible for every single person living, mm. uh, listening here and and for anyone who comes to BBA and participates in our leadership training or buys one of one of my books and, and jumps into this leadership work, I'm telling you the future is as bright as you want it to be. Michael, wishing you great luck with the upcoming project in Boston and elsewhere and continued success. Love your attitude on life. Thank you, Jordan. I really appreciate you having me on today. My thanks to Michael Strasner, helping many to achieve their full potential. Now on to another guy who's sharing stories about people in media with the Media Narrative Podcast. Rob Hoschild introduces many different kinds of media makers, authors, journalists, broadcasters, producers, artists. They'll talk about their ideas, their stories, how they work, and their approaches to making and consuming media. For anyone in the business, or quite frankly, anyone interested in media, and that's everybody, you'll appreciate Rob's curious mind. He's a fine interviewer who entertains and educates. Just what a good storyteller does. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest when they pick the next group of Renaissance men from Boston, you might qualify because <laughs> you're doing a lot of interesting things. Let's talk a little bit about education first, mm. and then we'll get into the podcast and okay. the media narrative. You're at Berkeley still. That's right. Mm-hmm. Good. But yeah. now you're teaching, you say. That's right. So I've been at Berkeley since 1992. I started working there before we even had email at Berkeley, and I worked in the publicity office. I was on staff uh, and just worked my way up through there I, You know, in, in, in the late 90s, the internet came along and I, and I took over the website and I just sort of I evolved as Berkeley evolved. And I'm very fortunate. I've been there all these years and I eventually became director of communications and then um, joined the faculty about three years ago. Now, when people hear Berkeley, most of the folks who listen to this would know it's music related. Was right. there a music connection in your life here? Yeah, music has always been a, a very deep passion of mine, something that I've been nerdily obsessed with. With, uh, yeah. like that. And, and music's been big in my family. My, my grandmother was a piano player. My dad was an excellent musician. I had a great uncle who was a conductor and a composer. Mm. Um, and I play a little bit as well. So, I, you know, guitar and saxophone just for right. fun and stuff. So I've always been really deeply interested in music. And it was always sort of something I wanted to do to combine my interest and ability as a writer with music. And I was able to do that at Berkeley. Osmosis has to set in when you're at Berkeley. There's so many (laughs) students and teachers and there's music in the air. Yeah, it didn't turn me into a Grammy uh, (laughs) Grammy award winning musician or anything, but uh, I was fortunate to take a lot of classes and be inspired by you know, guest artists that would come to campus, you know, like Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac or somebody like that would show up and I'd sit 20 feet from him and, and watch how he explains and plays the guitar. Oh, and uh, not that I could go home and ever do what he does, but being in that environment, it, it, it's just always been extraordinary and inspiring. So let's yeah. talk about advancing into the teaching ranks, because mm-hmm. that's a that's a change from 
being the guy who's the communications whiz and yeah. pumping out press releases and working with the media to now working in the classroom. It's true. Yeah, it was a it was a big transition. I was not really trained as a teacher. I didn't study education in school, but what I was called upon to do was to teach writing and teach Berkeley students. And I knew those things really well, having worked as a journalist and a writer all my life and having been at Berkeley for 24 years. I understood what the Berkeley student thought like and where they were coming from. So I think those things really helped me a lot in the classroom. But I really had to learn a lot. In that first semester, I taught five classes, Jordan. I taught three writing classes and two freshman seminar. All of a sudden, from working with uh, adults Mm. all my life, I had 100 young people in my life. And it was really extraordinary. There were days when I walked out of the classroom in that first semester just walking on air because I was so into what I was doing. Then there were other days that felt a little (laughs) different than that. But Well, writing is so important, and it's as important to a musician as it is to a plumber, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, or a a CEO. I think that's cool that Berkeley is dedicating professorial time to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, any musician, especially in this day and age, they have to have a a wide-ranging skill set, you know, because... There is so much that you do online to promote yourself, to put yourself out there. So the more you can develop skills as a writer, as a communicator, as a speaker, and it's actually a big thing I do in my classes. I talk about not only writing, but about speaking, you know, and I have a Mm -hmm. lot of international students and I really try to urge everyone to do presentations and speak up in class. I even have people do podcasting as extra credit assignments in class sometimes. And a few people have, have taken me up on that. So, and, and what, I explained to them is that if you learn how to do this, you're developing another skill as a musician. You might be able to produce a podcast. You might be able to make your own podcast. A lot of musicians have great podcasts. And these are things that you can use to connect with other people and to promote your own career. It, it's so true about promotion. It's it's key to be the self-promoter because when I was coming up through the ranks as a DJ and early on in my career as a broadcaster, it was all about the music companies and the mm. and the record companies and the promoters. And you, as a musician, would do anything to get signed. Now yeah. you're your own free agent in so many cases. Yeah, that's so true. So it takes a lot of ability. It's not just about playing all of your scales and... and right. Um, being able to improvise. It's really about, um, you know, connecting with people in a range of ways and being able to sort of work as an entrepreneur, you know, to be able to kind of design, think of yourself almost as as a as a business. There's a guy who works at Berkeley named Panos Panay. He's actually the, one of the highest ranking people. He's an executive vice president. He has this term that he's come up with, every musician is a startup. The idea is that if you're a musician and you really want to, uh, sort of a, become the person you want to be as a musician, as an artist, you have to think of yourself in an entrepreneurial way. And I think that uh, that applies in an interesting way in, in podcasting and lots of other fields, too. Well, that was a perfect segue, Robin, to what you're doing in your mm-hmm. podcast, which has now been ongoing for uh, several episodes. What, what yeah. are you up to? Uh, um, more than 100, right? I, well, no, I'm, I'm getting close to 40 now. Oh, okay. It, but, but it seems like a lot. Yeah. Uh, the reason I said more than 100 is because on a previous episode of your yeah. podcast, when I was interviewed, although you're 40 on your You've done other interviews. Right, because I've worked in radio and I've worked in in news. And yes, so I've done hundreds of interviews in my life. But for this particular podcast, about 40. And I also started a couple of podcasts for Berkeley and and interviewed a bunch of musicians there as well. So So let's talk about Media Narrative, which is the name of yours. And 
there's nothing more pervasive in life than a free and open and crazy media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, man. definitely. You've got a lot of content out there. Exactly. So it, it it's sort of endless. And and the whole reason I wanted to leap into this is because I so love uh, a good story that's delivered through a range of media. You know, whether it's film, whether it's a book, whether it's uh, a radio show, a podcast, a piece of music, a theater. You know, I've and I've talked to people in all of those fields in a podcast. So I call it the media narrative. They're interviews with media makers, but I define the word media in this really wide ranging yeah. way yeah. because, as we have already established, I am nerdily obsessed with music. So I love to have musicians on there as well as authors of very serious books about what's happening in the world today. And I had a theater director on there once. So you know what I've seen is that. Like we've been talking about, the the playing field is leveled in a lot of ways, but there are certain skills that apply across the board in terms of being able to succeed at making media. And it involves, you know, uh, listening and story arc and um, trying to understand what's valuable to an audience. Those are those are the things that, that I think still apply in a range of areas. Well, in listening to your work, you're able to uncover people who are doing it, as we say, on their own, which is so mm-hmm. different about today. So much of it's based on the technology that's enabled us to do what we do. But isn't that something you're noticing, I'm guessing mm-hmm. it is, that that there are so many ideas out there that people are able to now bring to fruition. They may not be yeah. Grammy-winning ideas, but they certainly are out there. Yeah. Well, w- one of my favorite interviews was with Julie Shapiro, uh, who is the executive producer of Radiotopia, which is a big podcast network based in Cambridge. One of the things she said to me is that there is room for everybody. You know, not everybody who starts a podcast is going to make a huge living out of it. Um, I'm still working on that one myself. But um, there's room for everyone to sort of begin, get started. And that applies in so many different fields now. Yes, it has this way of making things crowded. It has a way of leveling or or lowering the standard sometimes. But the fact is, if you want to play, if you want to get in, if you want to try to evolve in any range of fields, whether it's uh, making radio, podcasting, whether it's making music, whether it's self-publishing a book, um, those doors are are wide open now and might as well give it a try if you've ever thought about it. Now, it doesn't... Suggest for a second that it's easy. Uh, What have you noted among the people you've interviewed about the skill sets they've had or the the attitudes they've had that have enabled them to succeed? Well, I think it is really having a clear idea of what your central message is. You know, I think it's it's knowing that. Um, I'm going to tell a particular story and, and see the podcast is called the media narrative. So narrative really getting at the story aspect. Everyone has some particular story, even if you're interviewing, like I, I interviewed somebody who's a, a, a leader in the public health area, but she told a story about discovering a passion for that field when she was a little girl and went to, went to India where her father was from. I think it's that ability to connect story to a deeper purpose. And that's the that's one of the things that I see over and over again, regardless of the kind of field. So connecting story 
to purpose and then um, making sure that you're always considering your audience and trying to deliver for them what they want and need. I believe story is as essential to human development as food and water. <laughs> I mean, we, we subsist on it and we thrive on it. And everything that we lived up to this point, there's a story about it. Yeah. Right. That's so true. And in every culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, you hear corporate executives talk about it. You hear um, uh, musicians talk about it. You hear everyone, you know, the thing that that everyone, I think, can connect to no matter what language you speak or if you uh, if you don't speak, um, no matter what language you speak, you're, know you know, you're going to connect to yeah. a story. You I know? mean, I, I'm sure you've had opportunity to meet students and meet others in your travels who are, for whatever reason, um, quote unquote, disabled in some respects or uh, differently abled, whatever Mm -hmm. the the term of the day is. And uh, it's always remarkable to me. No, I shouldn't say it's not remarkable anymore. It's it's lovely to see people expressing themselves who weren't given a chance to express yeah. themselves in the past. Exactly. And, you know, and, and to, to tie it back to music, that is one of the extraordinary things about music. And we were talking about this earlier before we turned on the microphones about music therapy, um, you know, and about the way music can connect with, with people regardless of, of their skill set um, or w- what sort of disabilities they might have. Um, and, and it's an extraordinary thing to, so, so to, to try to connect with people, no matter where they're coming from, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great thing to always try to focus on. So do you have a, a wish list right now in your mm-hmm. head or on paper somewhere of who you want to have on the <laughs> podcast? What's great about podcasts, as you know, the world is your oyster. You, right. you have all kinds of opportunities. Who's on your yeah. short list, if anybody? Wow. I have a, you know, it's funny in my computer, which is sitting right here, I have a very long list of people <laughs> that I'd like to reach out to. Um, you know, it, 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 everyone I would say from somebody like Mark Marin, the podcaster, oh. to uh, Richard Thompson, the musician, uh, who I could also probably interview for something like my radio show on WUMB. Um, I actually reached out to Gloria Steinem's people at one point, um, a couple of years, about, you know, right around when I started this thing, and they were really nice. I didn't think there was any chance that they were, A, going to get back to me. B, say that she might be interested. And what they, somebody wrote back a really nice note and said, you know, Gloria would love to do this, but she's a little bit too busy right now, which might have just been a very nice line. I don't know. But um, so, you know, I mean, I I think where I'm at right now is I want to talk to people who uh, I'm getting more and more interested in in people who kind of do what we do, podcasting. Uh, I'd love to sort of talk to more and more folks who are uh, doing really interesting work in that area. Area, and that, again, is going to take me into a range of fields. Actually, another one that just occurred to me, um, I have not interviewed a comedian yet. You've had Lenny Clark on your oh. podcast. You, you had some other comedians on your podcast. I, I, I love comedy, um, I would, and there's a lot of them in Boston. So um, there's, there's a whole bunch of people I'd love to oh, talk well, that's, to. Oh, that's a given. Uh, they have so much to say, and in such an entertaining way, they say yeah, it. Yeah. Well, that's great. What, what's cool about what you're doing and what people in your world are doing is you're doing what I've always done, but you have a platform now. It used to be mm-hmm. if you didn't have call letters or you didn't have a network, uh, nobody would even pick up the phone. But right. people are respectful because they understand the power of the of the social media podcast world, and I'm sure you're finding that. It's, it's kind of a nice 
change of pace to get people to pay attention. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm out there in a sense. I don't think of myself as competing with NPR or Jordan Rich or anybody else, but it's like I have my niche. I have my audience and people who seem to respond to to what I'm doing, and and it's a blast. And I just want to do more of it. You know, I mean, I have ide- I have ideas for other podcasts. I'd love to do you know one that's really music focused, where I uh, get people to sort of uh, break apart how they write a song say and mm. I'd love to um, you know do one that's really focused on podcasting as I was saying before but always like with the idea of of giving something that you know it's like they say if you want to write a book um Think of writing the book that you would want to read. And it's the same approach that I'm trying to take with podcasting. I want to try to make the kind of podcast, the kind of radio that I want to hear. Plus, you've done the research. You know your audience in this case. Right. And actually teaching in the classroom Mm. must have really given you a new insight into how to what the audience of that realm is all about. It's true. You know, the the, like this whole phase of my life that I'm in right now, it's interesting because I started out early on doing high tech PR and then I worked as a journalist and then I started working at Berkeley and so I did this this phase where I was a communicator or a writer of some kind or another and then all of a sudden I just broke that up completely and you're right I am teaching I am making radio and I am writing those are my three main things but the teaching thing is really man the first couple times I did I did that it was hard and I know you've done some teaching as Mm -hmm. well when you stand in front of a group of people for the first time at the beginning of the semester or be, or the beginning of a class, it can be it, it's and it, it reminded me of what or it made me think maybe this is what it's like for comedians sometimes because because sometimes you say something and it's just crickets and they're <laughs> falling asleep and you're not connecting with them. And um, I think I learned about how to be in the moment in the classroom and how to connect with people. I was always pretty good at connecting with people one-on-one, but in the classroom I started to understand some of the some of the ways that you can connect with a group of people at the same time. Now, granted that's different than what we're doing with the microphone because we're sort of can, we're in a conversation with each other, but we're ideally also connecting with people beyond this mm-hmm. room. It's mm-hmm. one of these crazy algorithms about working in radio the the eavesdrop effect is what i call it and uh, you're right though about standing in front of a group of uh, freshmen or seniors whatever Mm -hmm. and dealing with the oh my gosh it's just (laughs) me and them and and they're looking at me waiting for me to right make the first move it's it's a game it's a dance but once you win them over you can't ever duplicate that it's like it's like comedy it's like being up on a stage and making people laugh for the first time it's fantastic it's gotta be yeah well listen I am thrilled that you stopped by and I was also very honored to be a guest on your podcast oh man it was great to have you and uh, continued success how can people find Media Narrative that's the best way it's uh, the website address is themedianarrative.com and uh, all the podcast episodes are there you can also listen Listen to it on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Radio Public, on pretty much every platform where you listen to podcasts. Well, as a fellow member of the cloud, in quotes, <laughs> I welcome you. I congratulate you. And uh, hey, more power to you. There's a lot of content out there that we want to hear about. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's an honor to be on your podcast. It's a pleasure to know you and to continue to hear your work, too. Thank you so much. 
Hope you enjoyed today's twofer episode. Thank you so much to my guests. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please, if you have a guest or a topic in mind for a future show, email me anytime, Jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, at chartproductions.com, C-H-A-R-T productions.com. I would love to hear from you. Till next time, be well so you can do good.